The Hamlet Podcast. Hello and welcome back to The Basics. This week I figured we would talk about prose, since it's the other major mode of expression in Shakespeare's plays. Obviously we began this supplementary series with verse, since it accounts for three quarters of the play Hamlet, but that still leaves a good 25% of it that is written in prose. In Shakespeare, prose is something of a battleground. Depending on what you read, you might get some very conflicting opinions on what it's supposed to be. Truth be told, it seems to be an awful lot of things. Obviously, it's different from verse, which is itself used for a great many different kinds of speech. But perhaps because prose is not rhythmical and certainly isn't rhymed, it's open to a great deal of interpretation. There are various basic approaches to verse in Shakespeare, but I don't think any of them are definitive, and therefore anything I say here is absolutely open to a counter-argument. We're going to talk about a variety of the things that prose can be, remembering that nothing is absolute. On the premise of squares and rectangles, all squares are rectangles, but not all rectangles are squares, each of the examples we'll discuss is a rectangle, as it were. There are, however, a few branches we can cling to as we trudge through the quicksand. So, I have five suggestions of things that prose can be used for, particularly in Hamlet. Number one, prose indicates status. Hamlet takes place in the royal court of Denmark, and as such, the majority of its characters are the Danish nobility. They tend to speak in verse in their conversations with each other. When there's a shift to prose, it can be a show of intimacy. For example, when Rosencrantz and Guildenstern appear, Hamlet jokes and speaks with them in prose. It's quite a lovely way of presenting a casual conversation, and Shakespeare uses it to some extraordinary effect. For example, while Hamlet is chatting with the lads, he comes out with one of the most memorable speeches he gives, and it's no less impressive for being in prose instead of verse. What a piece of work is a man. How noble in reason, how infinite in faculty, in form and moving, how express and admirable, in action, how like an angel, in apprehension, how like a god, the beauty of the world, the paragon of animals. And yet, to me, what is this quintessence of dust? Man delights not me. Some of the lower class characters in the play speak only in prose most notably the gravediggers, who appear in the final act. In that act, Hamlet also speaks with Osric and another gentleman in an extended sequence of prose, and he matches their status by not addressing them in verse. Interestingly, the players, Shakespeare's people, one might imagine, don't really get a word in. All of the words spoken to them by Hamlet and Polonius are in prose, which is something of an indicator of rank. Although, as we will see... There's a lot more going on there than just that. I don't want to make any generalisations, but, as it were, in general, if a character only speaks in prose throughout their entire existence in their given play, chances are they're of lower status than the kind of person who might be able to switch between prose and verse. And of course, somebody who only speaks in verse is probably very fancy indeed. But it's always worth keeping an eye out for the kinds of people who are able to switch between these registers. Idea number two. Prose indicates one's mental state. 
There's barely any sustained prose in the play until Hamlet meets with Polonius in the lobby. It's our first time seeing him since he vowed that he would pretend to be mad and Shakespeare uses prose as its indicator. In other plays, like Macbeth and King Lear, a switch from verse to prose is a clear indicator of a character's mind collapsing. As Lady Macbeth sleepwalks and King Lear rages in the storm, there's a significant change for them as they move into prose. Similarly, when Hamlet is calling Polonius a fishmonger and so on during that scene between them, he's speaking in prose because it's indicating that he is mad. Polonius also has a lot of asides here, and these are likewise in prose, but when he attempts to address Hamlet directly, he goes back into verse. Hamlet continues playing mad at various points throughout, and there's a chilling switch at the end of Act 3, Scene 2. In the aftermath of the cancelled play, when he goes back into verse to tell us tis now the very witching time of night and how he's going to proceed. At all points, when Hamlet is pretending to be mad, he speaks in prose. Heartbreakingly, when Ophelia really goes mad later in the play, she sings snatches of long-forgotten songs and likewise speaks thereafter only in prose. Idea number three. Prose indicates self-consciousness. It can start to seem complicated, all of the talk of how blank verse indicates formality, but also that it's the beating heart of Shakespeare's language and expression. There's a lot of different things that'll be said about blank verse and how true it can be or how sincere or how important and so on, especially then if prose is supposed to be its opposite. I find it quite helpful to bear in mind that the vast majority of drama before Shakespeare was written in verse. As such, all characters all of them spoke in verse all the time. So when Shakespeare's characters start to break out of verse, it's because the playwright wants to show us something else. This break with that intensely recognisable rhythm has to feel like a bit of a shock. As I just mentioned, the first sustained bit of prose in Hamlet is when Hamlet himself appears and we know he's pretending to be mad. So, the first time we hear a character not speaking in verse it's because it's an artificial, heightened moment. It doesn't really matter whether Hamlet is actually mad or just pretending, as he told us he would. The switch to prose is understandable for either, but it's worth bearing in mind that it can be both. As the same scene, the magnificent Act 2, Scene 2, continues, the players arrive, and Hamlet speaks to them only in prose. This is a fun trick that Shakespeare plays with our ears. As well as highlighting Hamlet's madness, it's a very smooth and quiet way to highlight the difference when Hamlet and the actor begin to speak in verse. As we start to hear about Pyrrhus and the flames of Troy, the switch back into blank verse can be electrifying. And it works so well precisely because Shakespeare has muddled our ears with prose, which doesn't have anything like the same rhythm, for the last several minutes. So the snap back into blank verse is almost a surprise. In the next scene too, we have Hamlet speaking to the actors, this time telling them how to do their job. And again, all of these instructions and this advice that he gives to the players is in prose, because again, it could be considered intimate or heartfelt, but it's also a self-conscious speech, wherein the prince is giving an acting lesson to a bunch of professionals. Even though Hamlet is very self-confident about it, the speech is still in prose, so it's still, it's performed. He has something to say that is not quite natural to him, 
but he hopes that it can be seen as intimate and maybe friendly and maybe conversational. But for all of these reasons, he is using prose and not verse. Idea number four, prose is more honest. In some places, you might read that Shakespearean characters are being honest when they speak in verse, especially if they're speaking verse in a soliloquy. And in other places, you might also read that they're being honest or even more honest when they're speaking in prose. If you think of great villains like Richard III or Iago and Othello, there's certainly proof that characters can lie in verse. And in Hamlet, one of the most difficult and distressing scenes happens between Hamlet and Ophelia in prose. Directly after To Be or Not To Be, in some of the most famous verse Shakespeare ever wrote, Hamlet snaps into prose when he starts to speak with Ophelia. He's playing his madness here still, and perhaps, I think probably, he knows that Claudius and Polonius are listening. Ophelia is, or was at some point, his girlfriend, so the intimacy between them might also call for prose. But Hamlet is also being extremely cruel here maybe cauterising the wound, maybe trying to get her to escape, to get her out of harm's way, who knows. But I don't really feel like the torrent of insults that he heaps on her as he keeps telling her to get to a nunnery, that all women are not to be trusted and so on, is entirely honest. And just because it's in prose, we don't necessarily have to take it as entirely true. Again, instead of honesty, per se. It could be self-conscious, it could be heightened because he is lying, because he's performing, because he knows he's being listened to. So prose can mean an awful lot of things. Idea number five, and this is the easy one, reported speech comes in prose. As we'll see in the numerous letters that heighten the intrigue that remains in Act 4, reported text is often in prose. So the various letters that get read out in Hamlet are all in prose. Even among the five examples of what prose may or may not be, and I've tried to limit all of the examples to what happens in Hamlet, there's a great deal of overlap between them, as you're already starting to hear. Is Hamlet mad or is he just pretending to be? His conversations with the players, with Ophelia, with Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, with the gravediggers and with Osric all happen in such different registers. It's very hard even to try to pin down a through line of he is speaking in prose here because or Hamlet speaks prose when for any of them. Bear in mind as well that Hamlet is a remarkably clever character and he's interested in how language works. His wordplay is often dazzling and he always, always beats whoever he spars with. And thanks to his relish for language, he's very, very good at the kind of code switching that takes place between prose and verse. It's always worth checking how Hamlet speaks to everyone, particularly when he chooses to do so in prose. It can be any of the above, or even more than that. Within the prose itself, and certainly in the verse, there are a great many stylistic flourishes to be found. We'll be looking at some of these in forthcoming episodes, starting with antithesis, or the balance of opposites. This is just a fancy word for a very simple idea. All you have to do is think of the most famous line in the play, and within five words, you'll already have an example of how antithesis works. For more on this, be sure to tune in to the next episode of The Basics.